Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, putting mental health and wellbeing at the heart of education. My name is Dr Katie Howard. I'm a lecturer at the University of Exeter, and together with a team of researchers from Bath and Bristol, we've been exploring the role education plays in supporting young people's mental health. There are so many young people that need this type of support and schools need to have more of it. My school is quite good in this case, but there are schools I've heard of which have very limited things available. Uh, There's also like a health and wellbeing centre where there's a qualified nurse and you can talk to them also at any time. That was Hannah and Rob, who are 13, sharing their experiences of how schools support their mental health and wellbeing. Education is a big part of young people's lives. And yet a recent survey showed that one in eight children aged 10 to 15 felt unhappy with school. We know that there's been a steady rise in the number of young people experiencing mental health difficulties, which has only been worsened by the pandemic. The government says schools should play a key role in supporting the well-being of their students. But should school staff really be expected to take on such a responsibility? And if so, what should that look like? We wanted to answer these questions from three very different angles – from a historical perspective, from a policy perspective, and from the experiences and accounts of school staff. Bringing these different strands together helped us to paint a picture about the relationship between mental health and education and how it's evolved over time. Later on, we'll hear from the policy and practitioner strands. But first, let's start by thinking about how things used to be. Lisa Woyun is a researcher at the University of Exeter who's been digging in the archives. Lisa... Could you tell us a little bit more about your research? Thank you, Katie. I worked under the direction of Dr. Chris Sandal-Wilson to explore if and how mental health was addressed historically in schools. We looked at data from participants who wrote in in 1991 about their school experience in a project called the Mass Observation Project. The respondents shared poignant experiences which would relate to mental health issues. These included wide-ranging topics from discrimination based on class and gender, to family issues from death, abuse, and poor health, to school-based issues of teachers who influence children for both positive and negative ways. They talked about bullies in school and test-related stress. Class was also a big issue. Some of your respondents were reflecting about their time in education as far back as the 1920s. So what was it like back then for students who were struggling with their mental health? One person who described themselves as disruptive because she believed her behavior was due to her parents' arguments at at home said she felt a lot of pressure to succeed in school. Her behavior was really bad, and that was causing her mom to be very frustrated with her. But she blamed nuns who were caustic spinsters, in her words. Eventually, this person was expelled from school, and her mother blamed her for humiliating her, the mom, and she got beaten badly. One day, this poor girl was put on trial where she stood on a chair and the teacher was the judge and and her fellow students judged her. And she blamed this educational experience as part of the reason that escalated her inability to learn at school. Another woman who answered moved often. She felt a lot of stress and a lot of non-acceptance. She certainly felt like an outsider. And she felt that girls weren't allowed to outshine the boys in science subjects. And she was pushed outside. And even when she went to college, 
she didn't feel part of society. She found herself pregnant, she said, and was unable to complete the foundational degree. Thanks, Lisa. So those experiences you've described sound fairly negative. So I just wonder, did schools have any positive role in supporting young people's well-being back then? Katie, these questions were answered in 1991, but they do go back as far as the 1920s. And I think society's position has shifted a bit. Violence and poor behavior was seen as moral failings of individuals then and families' responsibility. There were some teachers who took personal interest in students and they really did nurture them. And there was positive experiences felt by the students who wrote decades later that this teacher, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so influenced them for good. But schools did not have a specific responsibility for mental health. They were places to receive education. Well-being and mental health issues were separate. The only time they impacted the school was when these students misbehaved. Mental health hospitals for youth or social programs outside of schools were there to help quote-unquote troubled children. However, there were teachers, there was one who felt that schools were responsible for the moral welfare and guidance of younger students. But across the survey, there was a consensus that everyone, no matter what their physical, mental, or financial state, deserved to be educated to the full extent of their abilities. The belief was that it was the responsibilities of schools in providing pastoral mental well-being. There was general acknowledgement that students could have need of mental health support, but at that point, there wasn't a place to turn. This inconsistency stemmed from when and where and from whom this care should be provided. Thanks, Lisa. So we've heard about attitudes to mental health in schools in the 1990s and earlier. But what's happening now? My school provides uh, a head of year, which you can like, talk to about whatever you want at like any time. Uh, you don't have to make an appointment or anything. You can just wander into their office. Uh, there's, on like the, the website, there's also a button which you can press and it allows you to talk to a teacher anonymously at any time. So that's quite useful if you just wanna get some thoughts off your chest. They also hold PSHE lessons every fortnight and like there's often mental health stuff in these lessons. So, you know, it educates you on what you think about mental health and how to deal with it. Uh, there's also like a health and wellbeing center, a qualified nurse, like an NHS nurse and you can talk to them also at any time about whatever you want. I think that they could try and make the teachers a bit more approachable because I feel like at the moment, my head of year particularly, I wouldn't necessarily go and talk to him. If they did that, then the students could be more comfortable and more likely to go and talk to them. But overall, I'd say that my school does it really well compared to other schools. My school has a few ways that they support us with mental health. So one of them is a safeguarding team, which is basically a group of staff that we can go to with reports of bullying and other instances. There is also a room in my school called SSB, a student support base, where through any time of the day, if anyone is feeling as overwhelmed or anxious, they can sit and have a chat with the counsellor and have things to distract them with, like toys and colouring and clay. The last option is one-to-one counselling. I use that and it allows me to let my issues out and be calmer. I think it would be a very good idea to have specialists in mental health come in and have chats about these topics with the kids, but in little groups at a time so that they are comfortable. There are so many young people that need this type of support and schools need to have more of it. 
That was Hannah and Rob, who are 13, sharing their experiences of how schools support their mental health and well-being. Now, Dr Rachel Wilder, a lecturer at the University of Bath, has been talking to teachers and school leaders about what their schools are doing to promote good mental health. Rachel, what did they have to say about this? Hi, thanks, Katie. So for this study, I interviewed a small number of teachers and school leaders, and the settings ranged quite a bit. So that included like a small primary school in a rural setting, and then including uh, members of the senior leadership team, a multi-academy trust that oversees more than 20 schools. So they each told me about what their schools are doing, the different programs and partnerships they're implementing, aspects of the work that they're really proud of, and also areas where they're really struggling. Here are a couple of clips from Jill and Elise. I think the school is probably the first place people will go and people will notice stuff. You know, you're a daily point of contact for those people, so I think it is the school's responsibility to check in on people, to make sure that, you know, if you see a pupil who's not feeling quite right, that you dig a little bit deeper and see if you can support them. We no longer have communities to bring up children and to support families. And that community is absolutely essential for mental health. So where do you find that community now? And in an ideal world, I would love that schools were that community hub. I can see there that there's a real difference between their perspectives and what we heard from Lisa earlier on about people's attitudes in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I was really impressed by the range of work that these schools are doing and, you know, the extent of the programs they're implementing. They're really making a really strong effort to kind of address quite mild areas of mental health, students that have the reoccurring mental health concerns, as well as those who are particularly vulnerable, for instance, those with additional needs or who have a difficult situation at home. It's clear that the expectation of what schools are doing around mental health has increased hugely in the last few years. And what kind of trends did school staff identify or observe when it comes to pupils' mental health? The people that I spoke to universally found a really drastic incline in mental health concerns, both among pupils and staff. This is Vanessa. She is a teacher and mental health lead at a rural school. Mental health is getting worse, actually, and I think the pandemic potentially had a major hit on it. We've got a lot more children now who are school refusers with anxiety who have tried self-harming. The numbers are rising quite quickly. I already have people coming to me to say, this person's not feeling their best, this person's struggling. And it's quite overwhelming for me because I've only just started the role as mental health lead. That sounds really difficult for teachers. So what other types of challenges are schools facing? What I found really pronounced is a tension between a recognition that schools are well placed to support pupils in relation to their mental health and also the recognition that root causes of mental health extend far beyond schools. Here are Elise, Daniel and Bonnie talking about their struggles with addressing this. I just think the world is a much tougher place. And I think the advancement of social media and expectations from young people that they have to be the best or they have to look a certain way or that they have to always be right. But what we seem to be doing in our nation is saying, ooh, we need to fix mental health as if it's, you know, a broken arm or something like that. It's not recognising that actually this is a societal issue. 
Therefore, what it's saying is, well, you can fix it in your organisation instead of going, actually, we need to go back to the drawing board and ask, what are we causing that's contributing to where we are? I think what we're seeing at the moment with healthcare being stretched and social care teams being stretched, it does feel that lots is being pushed on schools because we're the ones who are here. Whilst it's important that schools train both teachers and staff how to deal with all these things, it's not just schools in isolation, it's everybody. For example, this morning I was on a call with one of the local authorities, social services and the police were all involved. On that case, it was quite interesting because I think people in different settings come at it from different avenues. I don't think they have all the information and this was also a mental health issue. Hearing those perspectives and hearing you talk, Rachel, we can really hear that there's a lot of pressure both on school staff, but also on mental health services. So I guess the question remains, should schools be responsible for supporting mental health? Our research team have been analysing government policies to better understand what some of the expectations might be around mental health support in schools. So at this point, I'd love to bring in my colleagues, Dr Naomi Warne from the University of Bristol and Dr Eleni Dimitrilou from the University of Exeter to talk about some of what we found. So Naomi, we started looking at policy from around six years ago. Why was that? Yes, so in 2017, there was a big investment from the government to support children's mental health in schools with the rollout of mental health support teams. And this is why we are really interested in government papers from 2017. So what we did as a group, we looked at five policy documents from 2017 to 2022, and we picked out the key themes that were running through each and all of these documents. And there were so many interesting threads running through, including things such as mental health support, really relying on key individuals such as designated senior leads for mental health. But one of the key recommendations from government was to use whole school approaches to mental health. Katie, what does this actually mean? Yeah, it's a good question, Naomi. I guess whole school approaches are essentially systemic ways of supporting the whole school community. So one of the documents that we looked at was from Public Health England. They proposed a whole school approach model that included things like school ethos, senior leadership, staff, working with parents and carers, and most importantly, including the voices of the students themselves. So whole school approaches have two main roles. The first is about preventing mental health difficulties. Um, So that includes universal interventions for all young people within a school community. And then the second is about providing more targeted support for children and young people that have already got established mental health difficulties. So what we found in our policy analysis was that although whole school approaches were seen as the best or the most effective way of um, supporting mental health in schools, the evidence base for them was quite limited. So in our recommendations, we suggest that more evidence is needed, both in terms of establishing whether or not whole school approaches are effective, and then secondly, establishing how they might be effective or how they could be better implemented in practice. Eleni, what did the government policy say about what makes a whole school approach successful? Thank you for asking this question, Katie. There were actually three main themes that uh, emerged from the policies. First, for a whole school approach to mental health to be successful, there needs to be buy-in from the senior leadership within the school. Uh, That relies on a commitment from head teachers and school mental health leads to train staff, understand and uh, promote children's mental health and well-being. 
Second, we need to take into account the context of the school. Every school is different, and so whole school approaches should be applied with flexibility. For example, what works in one school might not work in another. Third, and most importantly, whole school approaches need to respond to students' needs, and the best way to do this is to encourage student voice within the school community. Thanks, Eleni. Lisa and Rachel are still with me to wrap up our conversation about the role of schools in supporting mental health. So, Rachel, what would you say are the kind of key messages across the three strands of our project? That's a really big one and a really, a really important one. Um, I think there's a number of things that have come out that have obviously emerged in some of the conversations we've been having. And so I think, you know, just to start with, I think one of them is about the tension between government, what government policy says schools should be doing and what they are doing in practice. Mm-hmm. You know, which has, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, including um, government guidance, contact and so on. Um, I think um, what we are seeing is that today there's recognition that schools are really well placed to be supporting children and young people in their mental health concerned. We see young people having trust and feeling empowered to confide mental health concerns to teacher and school staff. That is real progress. Lisa, do you have anything to add on that? I think historically... We're almost in the same place, Rachel. Um, My respondents shared inconsistent views of what role education had in connection with pastoral care and mental well-being. However, the participants recognized that well-being did have a strong impact on um, students' abilities to learn in schools. They were less clear historically about when, how, and who should administer the pastoral care, but they pointed to a lack of resources, which was stated as a hindrance to addressing this matters. It seems today, at least we've overcome some of these obstacles. What do you think, Rachel? Yeah, I think I think you're right. We have addressed some of these obstacles and, you know, at least where funding is concerned, we can see that schools have more resources, more training, more partnerships with specialty organizations. Um, but it's clear we aren't there yet. Um, schools should not be the only resource. Um, we see schools, the people I spoke to saying there's immense waiting lists with the NHS, with specialty services. So they're really the bottom line when it comes to young people and children getting support immediately. Um, we really need to see more funding and support for children and young people's mental health services outside of schools. What we aren't seeing also is recognition that to improve young people's mental health, we need to be acting on root causes. For instance, what about tackling issues around social inequality, child poverty, the cost of living crisis? There's a lot here in those root causes and wider um, wider aspects of society that are perpetuating mental health that we need to be taking a much more serious stance on. Katie, can I just come back to you and just ask, what are your impressions about the implications for policy and practice? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you talked about that tension between what what government guidance said should be happening and what's actually happening in practice. Because from the interview interviews that you did, it seems that quite a lot of school staff and schools are implementing these whole school approach approaches to mental health, but they're not necessarily called that. And so I think we need uh, kind of to address this mismatch between policy and practice. So how effective are whole school approaches? How can they be measured? How are we supporting the staff, uh, school staff in implementing policies and practices around mental health? And how can we integrate, as you were saying, how can we integrate health and education services more effectively? 
So really, I'm asking a lot more questions than I'm answering there. Um, but I think that there is a lot more research to be done about what really a whole school approach is and what, what is going to best support the whole school community in terms of improving and supporting mental health and well-being. Uh, Lisa, did you find that the historical data could be reflected or could be um, echoed in, in, in these conversations that we're having? I find the core roots um, and causes that I, I identified as impacting mental health are the same ones that we're talking about today. Across the survey, there was a belief that everyone deserved to be educated to the full extent of their abilities, regardless of their intellectual capacities. Mm. That's a wonderful note to end on, Lisa. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone. That was a really interesting discussion. We hope we've convinced you today that schools can and do play an integral role in supporting children and young people's mental health. And we'd love to hear your views on this important topic. You can find out more about the policies we looked at and our contact details in our bio. I'll leave you with the words of Elise, one of the practitioners we spoke to. If we understand the impact of children's mental health and well-being on their ability to learn, then we can understand how to enable them to achieve. Thanks for listening.